0: The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds.
1: Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Today's episode will introduce a new mini-series of podcasts we're producing called Race of My Life. This series is dedicated to a series of motorsport legends, each explaining their personal choice of the best race in their careers as drivers and team managers. The series will have its own podcast channel and will be fully revealed on Monday. But we're releasing today's episode in your regular autosport podcast channel to remember triple f one world champion Nicky Lauda, a year to the day since his death after a lengthy illness. We hope you enjoy Lauda's selection for his race of my life, which is the 1984 Portuguese Grand Prix. The race of my life. Presented by Autosport. I was stuck in traffic for half the race. I couldn't pass anybody because right at the beginning my turbo broke. I couldn't develop the power, so I couldn't pass anybody. I was handicapped and I was just sitting there. Those are the words of the late Nicky Lauda regarding the start of the 1984 Portuguese Grand Prix, which he picked out as his race of my life to Autosport. That choice is the latest in our mini-series of podcasts, and I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas, Autosports Grand Prix editor, and with me again is Autosports chief editor, Kevin Turner, to discuss and debate this particular choice. Now, it's quite a it's quite a, a, a mega, quite an interesting choice, I think, here from Lauda, because not only is it a, a drive through the field, obviously, he doesn't win the race, Alan Prost wins the race but it's it's a particularly important uh, race for his career and result for his career because he ends up winning the world title by half a point sealing the title during his comeback which i i think puts it up there with the the greatest sporting comebacks of all time It's you know no one else has really has come back and actually won a title so that's 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 pretty impressive um but yeah portugal 1984 what are your initial thoughts on that event
0: well i mean i think you're right it's the culmination of an incredible sort of championship fight between yeah, you know, one of the established greats. Okay, yes, he had he had come back, but I think everyone, yeah, you know, everyone knew Nicky Lauda's status. Yeah, you know, Ron Dennis had worked really hard to get uh, Lauda back into Formula One um, after he'd taken over McLaren. Um, apparently, he used to ring him quite regularly to go, "You're going to come back yet? You're going to come back yet?" Uh, and eventually, I think he did a test at Donington Park, which convinced him that he was able to get back into it and get on the pace and they did the deal and off they went. Um and of course he won his third Grand Prix back at Long Beach. Um but then of course so it was all to go along serenely. Um even though John Watson actually had his days where he could beat Louder. Louder I think felt that he always had the overall edge. They'd done the deal with, with Porsche for the tag turbo engine during eighty three. They'd started to run it at Louder's insistence at the end of eighty three. Um, just to get the bugs out, which was a a very wise decision because there were bugs, but they got them sorted in time for 84. So it all looked very, very promising. all set himself up, as the great drivers do, with getting all the pieces in place first. And then he has a massive spanner thrown in the works because Renault sack Alain Prost um, for not winning the World Championship, even though it was almost entirely their fault. Um, And Prost walks into the sort of second McLaren seat. So suddenly, um, Lauda's got Probably the most, you know, the most dangerous, able, um, quick teammate in the other car that he's that he's sort of developed for himself, um,
1: and he and he references that in his race of my life in the feature that went in Autosport. He says, uh, "Suddenly, I ended up with that little Frenchman as my teammate."
0: <laughs> you can, <laughs> yeah, you
1: can, you can hear it. Prost was a bigger challenge than Watson was. Fairly understated there. But there we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, but they got on really well. It was one of those rivalries. You know, this is before the PK Mansell. Rivalry before the Senna, Prost one, the won. bitterness, the bitterness. Exactly, this was when, but this was a, it was a hard fought rivalry, um, but they they respected each other and they got on, and I think they shared information and they really brought McLaren forward. And of course, that season they won they won twelve races between them. If we're really honest, Loud was a bit fortunate to win the championship because although his racecraft was brilliant and he would invariably come through the field, in fact, Portugal was a good example. Prost started near the front, got the lead early on and disappeared to, to a race of his own. And Lauda had to work to come through the pack, obviously made harder by his, by his turbo issue. Um, and in most of the races, you know, Prost did have the advantage and, and, and a majority of the ones that Lauda won, he needed Prost to have some sort of issue or problem. So really, he was quite fortunate to go to that finale with the championship lead. Um, but I think he felt that he'd had to raise his game massively um, when he'd seen how quick Prost was particularly in qualifying um, and obviously this race was the culmination of that fantastic fight uh, and yeah you had to come through the field um, and finish second behind behind Prost to win the championship by half a point which is still the closest Formula 1 drivers title fight um, in history. Mm. And, and
1: indeed, I think the sort of the, the that relationship and 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 all the feelings and everything that came up over the year is nicely summed up by Lauda at the end, where he's, he talks about being on the podium with clearly a very emotional Prost, who's just lost the title. You know, everything he's been through at Renault, he's really You know, he's got the chance to finally achieve his dream, and and Lauda does it. He, he, he steals the title from him, but he says next year this guy's going to win the world title, and I got proved right because he does. So,
0: yes, I think yeah. I think louder a, li- a little bit like. Um, Nico Rosberg had to do yeah, everything had to come together he had to be at the top of his game and he needed a bit of luck to beat Lewis Hamilton in 2016 and it happened for him and he realised the chances of that happening again were basically zero so retired I nice. think Loud was probably in a similar sort. although he carried on for one more year I think he realised the writing was on the wall and it was unlikely that that was going to happen again
1: Nicky Lauda and Nico Rosberg, a comparison by Kevin Turner. Interesting. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to get that today. Maybe. No,
0: no, no. I would, don't worry. I would put Lauda higher up my list of great drivers. But I think that that's the similarity in that they both... Yeah, I, both, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah.
1: Outrageous podcasting there by me. Let's go back to the day before the race. What, what, why was Lauda so, ended up qualifying so far down the field?
0: So Lauda had electrical and engine issues uh, during practice. Um, and could only qualify eleventh. Although, to be honest, he quite often qualified a. Uh, you know, as I said before, quite often qualified a long way, a long way behind um, where Prost was qualifying. As one point four seconds between them. Um, and uh, but he would had engine changes, and he had a water leak in the warm up. So it was one of those where he had he seemingly had everything going against him. Um, and and louder was, you know. Loud was one of the sort of real forces of nature throughout his life. You know, there are plenty of examples, um, you know, from his racing career. And of course when he had his own airline, you know, he was not a not a guy to be trifled with and he could you know, he could come back from almost any any setback it seemed. And um and yeah, the problems he'd had and the fact that Pross was so far ahead, you know, it set the scene nicely for um you know, for race day where he where he had his work cut out for him. Yeah, obviously it was
1: uh, it was a charging drive, three to a second. Um yeah, how did he how did he get how did he get by? What, how would you rate his uh his race performance?
0: Well this is where my I I struggled with this as the number one choice. So yeah, he passed he does pass an awful lot of cars. He gets caught in a gaggle um that includes Senna's uh Tolman, which by then is going going very well. Um and he does you know, he works his way through, has a couple of near misses I think. Um but he gets himself up to third. And the reason that um, uh, I I perhaps wouldn't put this quite at at, at the top of Lauda's races is because Nigel Mansell was running second in the Lotus. And Lauda maintained that he would have caught um, Mansell. Um, But Nigel Roebuck, who wrote the All Sport Report at the time, didn't think that the numbers stacked up uh, that he would have done. And actually, when you go back and look at the lap times that they were doing, what the gap was... I would tend to agree with Nigel. I think that had the Lotus continued healthily throughout the race, I don't think Lauder would have got to him. So he would have, instead of winning the championship by half a point, by finishing second, I think he'd have lost it by a point and a half and finished third. So what what makes the difference and makes the race so important, ultimately, is because uh, Mansell has brake problems, has a spin and then retires. And that allows Lauder up into second place. So it's, For me, that's an absolutely crucial point in the race and in the championship. Um, So yeah, that's why I struggled quite to have it. It, I did a louder list last year, um, which I very much would have liked his input. Unfortunately, he passed away before we were able to, to put the list to him, um, which he then could have torn to shreds, I'm sure. Oh Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm sure he would have done, but that, that was the, that was the issue I had with that, that race. And I, I personally put it in, put it third on my, on my list.
1: Throwing uh, a curveball question back at you, we Alan, we agreed sort of fairly, fairly wholeheartedly with Alan Prost's pick of the 1990 Mexico City Grand Prix. Sorry, Mexican Grand Prix. I always get it because they changed it, didn't they, for a few years ago? Anyway, um, he he wins that race where Senna has a car problem, and if he doesn't have that, if Senna doesn't have that problem in the McLaren, he probably would have held on. You could you could argue. So surely it's the same case here that it's uh, a driver ahead with a car issue
0: well first of all I'm not convinced that Senna would have won the race anyway I think that was a I mean we we actually talked about that didn't we debate that in the the podcast Um, yeah it's 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 a valid question I also suspect that you could say that the Ferrari's pace that day was you know Alan had specifically made changes to the car to make it better for the race and he was so much the crucial point for me there is he's so much quicker than his teammate Nigel Mansell you know, another great driver. Okay. Whereas in this instance, Louder ultimately finishes well behind the guy in the other car. So I think that um, picking a race, putting putting Louder's greatest race as one where he was basically thrashed by his teammate, I think does him a disservice. Even yeah. though obviously the greater context of him winning the championship is, you know, is why, you know, why he chose it.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's very well argued. Although I think I'm going to edge with louder's suggestion because i think it has a combination of a charging drive and a title on the line but as you as you very very well point out he was comprehensively beaten by his teammate on the day
0: i think you wait until you hear the alternative alternative suggestions
1: indeed we'll come oh, on to that in a moment let's um, let's just hear uh, louder's assessment of the race afterwards when he spoke to autosport for this feature he said in the end my car was not bad i was going quicker and quicker." The problem I had was that I had used a lot of fuel and the turbo was broken so I was getting the wrong indications about my fuel consumption. For the last five or six laps I was really worried the car might stop but thank god it didn't. So in the end I finished second to Prost which was enough. It was a very close and difficult race. It was special because it was so close. It was really a tough season for me and for Prost too because we were fighting from the beginning of the season trying to win races and make points. Prost really felt sorry. He was certainly disappointed because he thought he had it all in his hands. He nearly cried on the podium. But I told him, this is motor racing. You've done a good job, but I just made it. Don't worry about it. You will next year. And I was right. Next year, Prost won the championship. So I think a little bit of revealing, it's quite revealing there in his words, Kev. Um, he talks about it being close, but as we've said it, it wasn't a close race. I think he's hes just uh, not overwhelmed, but it, it's, the, it's the closeness of the title fight that makes this one really stand out for him, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He'd never, in terms of a championship fight, he'd never had to worry about a teammate. Yeah, before, yeah, when he was at Ferrari, uh winning his winning his first two titles, uh, nearly winning obviously in seventy six as well, um, you yeah, he was he was the top dog. You know, he'd been a key part of making that operation competitive again, uh, with Luca de Montezemolo and Mauro Fier Foggieri. Um so this was an all new challenge and I think that even by eighty five K now looking back, you know, Prost had barely won anything in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, he had still four world championships to come, but I think it was pretty obvious to everyone that 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 Prost you know he, he could have won it in 82 he probably should have won it in 83 and I think he was really he probably was robbed of it in 84 as well so you know it wouldn't take a huge shift in in the universe for Alain Prost to have been a seven or eight time world champion um and I think that, that was uh, the intensity of that fight is, is what's coming through in Laudas words there
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's go on to some alternatives you could have picked. And we'll start with with what I think is a candidate for probably the greatest race performance ever, which is the 1976 Italian Grand Prix. Well, Lauda, it's his comeback race after his his horrifying accident at the Nürburgring and he finishes fourth. I mean, it's immortalised in the uh, in the Rush film. But it's just, it's you know, considering all the circumstances he was in, the pain he was in, that result is, is absolutely terrific.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to sort of, I slightly contradict myself here in that usually for these lists, I try and remove the sort of emotional part and be really as objective as possible about the performance that performances that we're looking at. But I think in this case, that's just impossible because it's just, for me, it's, you know, you were talking about sporting comebacks. I, I think that this is even more remarkable than his comeback uh, with McLaren in the 80s. I think, you know, six weeks after nearly being killed in the accident at the Nürburgring, um, and 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 to put in the performance he did when he was still pinned in the balaclava off his burns, just an incredible, incredible feat of human spirit, I think. But I'm going to I'm going to quote something um, to you now um, do, from his own book yes. to Helen back um, when he was talking about the race. He said, uh, "I said that I'd conquered my fear quickly and cleanly. That was a lie. But it would have been foolish to tell the truth and play into the hands of my rivals by confirming my weakness at Monza. I was rigid with fear." Training in the rain on Friday before the race was so terrifying that I got out of the car at the first available opportunity. So to go from basically being afraid to drive the car to out-qualifying the other two Ferraris in the race because Ferrari wasn't expecting back so soon, so they actually had three cars in that, and then finishing fourth, um, holding off Jody Schechter by a tenth of a second. It wasn't like he was just cruising around at the end. He had he had Schechter's Tyrrell right behind him as well. I think that's just uh, uh, you know I think that's a genuine superhuman performance in a realm that demonstrates really how special some of these guys are great. Um, so yeah. race didn't even finish race he didn't even finish on the podium and of course ultimately he lost the world championship um I think by also doing a brave decision of withdrawing from the Japanese Grand Prix an entirely different version of of bravery um, so but yeah I mean for me, I think that's just a, a remarkable uh human and sporting moment really.
1: Completely, and that's what makes the nineteen seventy six season so compelling, isn't it? Is that sort of overcoming human, yeah, as you say, that 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 just that whole emotional uh, combination. What I would say very quickly is, is my point about the comeback with McLaren. It was it was more it was it was literally just career comebacks that I was. You know, it's the only really successful one. Whereas this is. A comeback of a, a whole, dig, a, yeah. a whole different and more impressive well, magnitude.
0: Well, I did start, as you know, I like a good list, and one of the things I looked at was, um, it, was the, it was the very
1: basis of this podcast.
0: I believe, in, well, yes, indeed, <laughs> um, uh, I was looking at doing a top ten motorsport comebacks, which I may, I may revisit. But I, one, I basically had louder at one and two <laughs> for his comeback after his crash in '76, and then for coming back to win the world championship in, in, the, in the '80s. So, um, yeah, just a, just a remarkable. Yeah, remarkable man really and that that's the for me that's the most remarkable performance of his remarkable racing career
1: yeah i think you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone that significantly disagrees with you there but there are there are other other great drives in his career that he, that he potentially could have picked um so let's go on and have a, a little bit of a chat about those now and um, the 1985 dutch grand prix his final f1 win i mean it was quite a difficult season for him that one so perhaps that's why it stands out so particularly
0: Yes, he, I mean, obviously we've just talked about the fact that Prost was going to be, you know, the guy really in 85. But, um, yeah, Ladd had some good performances, but he just had appalling reliability. Basically all the luck that he had in 84 completely reversed and deserted him. Um, and, uh, but it just, he had that one one big great day left in him in the Dutch Grand Prix um, when essentially what happened was he, he got ahead. Uh, he was on a different, slightly different strategy to, to, uh, as teammate Alan Prost, um, and after the pit stops, uh, Prost's came later, um, and he came charging off, charging up after Lauda. You know, one of those classic, lapping consistently new fastest laps every time through, um, and, and, and Lauda also had um, the the wrong tyres on. He'd been he had a combination of three softs and one hard fitted, which is not what he wanted, so he had oversteer. Um so he had the balance was out and he had charging Prost after him and Prost caught him uh over the final seven laps. Um and but Lauda just drove absolutely flat out uh to hold Prost off and there's actually um I was watching the video the other day and there's actually a moment where Prost has a look down the uh down the inside of the chicane and they get very close. It was one of those moments they gave just each other enough room, ties locking and Lauda held on. Um and to, to yeah take his 25th and final World Championship Grand Prix win um, by, t- by a tenth or two across the line, uh, which also, of course, was, for the time being, the last last Dutch Grand Prix. So, it remains uh, the last Dutch Grand Prix race. Indeed, sadly. so quite a milestone race, both for F1, Zandvoort and, and Lauder himself. Absolutely, and we hope that eventually, when we do get to go to
1: Zandvoort or whatever happens in this year, they will be uh, that'll be nicely honoured, I'm sure. Um, another alternative we could have selected, or Lauda could have selected, the uh, 1978 Monaco Grand Prix, where he finished second for Brabham.
0: Yeah, so this is another one of those um, charging drives. It's easy to forget that sort of period where um, where Lauda was at Brabham between between Ferrari and uh, his sort of his first retirement, if you like. But there were some good days. I suppose the most famous one is when he won with the fan car um, in the Swedish Grand Prix. Um, but I think he always felt that anyone could have probably won the race in that car because it was a phenomenal um, piece of kit. So in, that, in the 1978 Monaco Grand Prix, he did qualify behind his teammate John Watson, uh, who led, um, but um, ended up having brake problems and, um, yeah, and and take himself out of contention, really. Um, he and then, waves Louder through at one point, doesn't he? That's right, yeah, yeah. So Louder um moves up to second, but then gets a puncture um and has to put on a charge. And um so as you often find with these great drivers, yeah, you know, they often make the winning part look easy when they've got all the things in place, but they've also got that determination to 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 fight back when things go wrong. Uh and he just uh he just absolutely went flat chat. Um Nigel Roebuck, who was there r- reporting on it, likened it to Jochen Rintz, uh, 1970 Monaco Grand Prix win, a very famous drive. Um, and Lauda you know, rejoined in sixth, um, which which became fifth when Ronnie Peterson's Lotus retired. But he then caught Giorgio Winners Ferrari, and was uh, attacking it when uh, the one had a puncture and crashed. Watson in through, louder carried on, um, overtook Jody Schechter's uh, Wolf to move into to second. Um, so incredible. Charge um and the sort of like the icing on the cake for me is that his fastest lap was uh well he, first of all it's faster than he went in practice, which is pretty remarkable, and one point nine seconds faster than anyone else in the grand Prix uh, I mean imagine that two nearly two seconds faster um than anyone else so um yeah just a, a just a phenomenal performance that probably doesn't get remembered because obviously he didn't you know he didn't win the race.
1: Yeah, flies a little bit under the radar. But one one Monaco Grand Prix that he did win was the 1975 Monaco Grand Prix where he finished first for Ferrari. Uh, it was his first win in nearly a year and he sort of he held off various... Various all comers trying to trying to win that race from him, and uh, towards the end, an oil pressure issue starts to slow him down a little bit. But an impressive performance for Ferrari. I, I likened it, perhaps, uh, perhaps just facetiously, to Daniel Ricciardo, obviously because it's just it's two eras you can't really compare. Daniel Ricciardo with uh, the, the hobbled Red Bull holding off uh, the, all the charges in Monaco in 2018.
0: I think, I'd, I'd, yeah, I mean they're both great Monaco Grand Prix wins. I think the difference is obviously Ricciardo had a um, you know a, a problem with the car probably for much longer. And and had to not make a mistake with all those cars behind him. Whereas Loud, the big challenge of the 75 Monaco Prix was the changing weather conditions. And the mm. thing, um, yeah, if you're having a debate about who the greatest wet weather drivers in F1 history are, Louder wouldn't normally wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't come into it, but actually he was very good in the wet. Um, he just often was overshadowed. So nineteen seventy four brand race of champions was actually putting in a great race, but everyone remembers it for Jackie Icks passing around the outside at Paddock. After Louder had picked up a minor car problem, which probably swung the balance of power between the two of them. Um, Dutch Grand Prix 1975, you know, that was a, he was, you know, came through and had everyone else beaten. He just couldn't find a way past James Hunt, um, who put in, uh, we'll get to this another time, but that was his choice of his race Mm. in my life. So um, it wouldn't have taken a huge amount for Louder to, you know, to have a few more wet rain affected races on his CV. Um, And I just thought, I think that that's probably the best one, the 1975. um, yeah, you know, Monaco Grand Prix is probably his best sort of rain affected, affected drive. Absolutely.
1: Well, if we return to the 1984 Portuguese Grand Prix as our, as our starting point, it was Lauda's pick. I mean, I, th- I think, I think because of the fact he won- wins the title, he comes through the field. Okay. Yeah, he does. Frost does completely do him over there in the, in the race. But that combination, the fact that he picked it and it's Nicky Lauda, I think we have to agree with this race of his life, don't we, Kev? I find I mean, he- but can we can we can we just clarify it? Can we put the nineteen seventy-six Italian Grand Prix in its own on its own amazing pedestal just because of it was so impressive? Go on then. Go on then. I, I, this- I can just make I'm making up the rules as I go along. Well you, you may are, have yeah.
0: Well, it, yeah. I mean I think you could because of Loud a remarkable life, you almost do have different categories for this. So yeah, mm-hmm. the seventy six Italian Grand Prix is in a category one by itself. Um for him personally and emotionally 84 Portugal, but then perhaps technically the best drive may have been 85 Dutch Grand Prix, you know, you've, um, and, that, and that's what's great about, you know, this kind of debate, I think, is that you know, it reveals different sides to, you know, to the great, to the great drivers, really the different, different assets and uh, strengths they had in their game.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you may well disagree with Kevin I, and, and perhaps even Lauda's pick for, for, for Portugal 84. Let us know, um, you obviously can email us, uh, news at autosport.com if you want to get in touch with us directly, or, or on our social media channels using the handle at autosport. Well, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Kev, thanks again for being a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful guest and person to, to 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 learn from in all these on all these matters, because of all your great lists. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and thanks to our editor, Martin Lee, for editing this episode.
0: The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network